We'll be reading from Exodus chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them, because you've made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for his people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, If the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me, since I am such a poor speaker? Amen. Thank you, Carl. You may be seated. Let's do a little bit of praying before we get started. Make sure that our hearts are right and ready to hear from God. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd open our spiritual eyes and ears. Can you pray something like that this morning? that I may hear and see what you want me to hear and see. God, we pray that you would stir our affections for Jesus this morning. Can you pray this? God, convict me where I need conviction. Encourage my heart where I need encouragement. Open my eyes to my blind spots. And God, we pray that you'll be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, destroying discouragement. Let me just start off by saying a few things before we get started. First of all, you, this is not behavior modification. You cannot destroy discouragement in your life by behaving yourself in the right direction. It's always by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit working to transform your heart. So let me start off. With that, on the first note right here, the second thing I want to do is tell y'all that this study in Exodus is kicking my rear end. I mean, like, you know, so I have never went verse by verse teaching the book of Exodus. 
The other books that we've done here, I've done those before. I'd preached here. Never went through Exodus. Didn't know what I was getting into. Had no idea that whenever we started doing this study in Exodus, that it was going to get right in the middle of all of my problems, you know, and just expose them. So, like, the reason I'm telling you that is because this past week as I've been studying this, to say that I have come under conviction would be an understatement. Because, like, if you go to the, the elders or the people who were on the pastor search committee when I came here, they ask, they ask the same thing. All search committees ask, what is your weakness? And I've told them the same thing I always tell everybody. My weakness is discouragement. I get discouraged easily. And now, see, here's what I've discovered this past week that really got after me, okay? Because it starts off with the first fill-in on your outline there. Impatience and spiritual immaturity are the foundation of discouragement. So, I mean, if I look at the root of my problem, the root of my problem with discouragement is my immaturity. And I just want to be honest with you this morning, too, that I put this in this morning when I was writing it, just to make it a little easier on ourselves, because really, I mean, immaturity is a foundation of discouragement, not just spiritual immaturity. I mean, just immaturity overall. So if, if you're sitting here this morning and why I'm teaching this, and we're going through this, and you're like, ouch, that hurts a little bit, then I want you to know I'm right there with you. There is some painful stuff that we got to work our way through this morning. If we're going to be honest, now we can sit here and justify ourselves and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm glad everybody else is hearing this. But I mean, if you're really sitting here and saying, you know, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart, reveal my blind spots, then I just want you to know this morning, this may be a little bit painful. And I never saw this coming in Exodus, by the way. I thought Exodus would just be an interesting story about Moses and God delivering. I did not realize it's going to get right in the middle of our stuff. Joshua 1.9, look at this. Here's what God tells Joshua as he's going into the promised land. Look, notice one, verse one, chapter one, verse nine. Haven't I commanded you? It's already happened. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Now, now why? How can you do that? Because there's a promise. Here's a promise. For the Lord, Yahweh, your God, your Elohim, is with you. Wherever you go. So how do you do that? Do you behave yourself into this? Do you just like, okay, I'm just going to not be scared. I'm not going to be fearful. No, no, no. You Listen, there's something that's got to happen before we can ever move into this, you know, destroying discouragement. We've got to know God. We've got to know his attributes and his character. And we've got to know his promises. So, Measuring spiritual maturity. Here's false measures right here. When we talk about people being spiritually mature, first thing, lots of times we think, man, somebody knows a lot of the Bible, that means that they are spiritually mature. That is not true. Okay, I mean, like, you can know, have a whole lot of Bible knowledge and be spiritually immature, be immature all the way around. I mean, I have had professors in Bible college that knew the Bible, I mean, so much more than anybody that I ever knew, and they were very, very immature all the way around time spent in prayer. And you think, man, somebody, if they spend hours and hours in prayer, they must be or a long time in prayer. They really, you know, they may tell you, man, I pray a lot. <laughs> That's great, okay? But, you know, what did Jesus say about the Pharisees? He said they stand on the street corner and they recite these big, long prayers and their flowing robes so everybody will see them and know, and they were not spiritually mature. Church attendance. Just because somebody's in church, every time the doors open, it may be the devil sent them. Number four, position or title, just because somebody says they're pastor so-and-so, elder so-and-so, they deacon so-and-so, whatever it may be, whatever title they put on there, that does not mean they are spiritually mature, okay? 
or their reputation even. Man, listen, they can have all of these things right here and have a great reputation. That does not mean that they are spiritually mature. That just means they've got everybody faked out real good. So how do we get true measures? How one responds when afflictions hit. Man, that right there, that will bring everything to the surface. You can, we talk about this before, we'll talk about it again. You can be a hypocrite when everything's going good. You can be praising God and, you know, you know, and just putting on this big front about being all holy, as long as everything's going your way. But man, when affliction hits, that will weed out. That will weed out the hypocrites from the people. Of tr- that will show me, do I, if, if whenever afflictions hit, if I start moving away from God, Jesus and church and fellowship and all that, that's a good sign that I need to be checking my salvation. Number two, how one responds when they are tempted to sin. Man, listen, if somebody thinks they're spiritually mature and they do all that first list right there, and then whenever temptation hits them in their private area where they're there on their computer by themselves, whatever it may be, and they get into the sin, they justify that sin, okay, you know, but whenever someone is faced with sin, so Anselm, may not know who that is, that's a dude from a long, long time ago. Anselm, here's what he said. He said, when faced with sin, he said, I would rather jump into hell than to willingly go into sin, See, that's a whole other level from what I said today. You don't hear our preachers today saying that, right? Number three, how one responds when they are mistreated. Okay, y'all ready to get hurt right now? You pull your, pull your feet your feet back. You don't have your steel toe boots on. This is going to hurt a little bit, all right? So whenever things go wrong and we're mistreated and we respond with a, an emotionally driven reaction, Okay? There's a sign that I've got immaturity in my life. If whenever people make me mad and I start losing my cool and I start yelling at them or I start whatever it is, and it's emotionally driven through that, man, there's a sign right there. So, I mean, you know, you may be sitting here right now saying, man, that is me. Okay, well, listen, we're all in process, okay? But if you're sitting here putting on the front that you are spiritually mature and that is you, then let's just wake up. Let's, get up. let's, let's open our eyes to our blind spots this morning, Okay. Whenever everything does, people don't treat you right, that does not give you a right to respond in a mean way. Now, let me just, okay, you parents, let me help you with something right quick, okay? I wish somebody would have told me this when I was a young parent. So I just throw this in for free, sidebar, off the side. You do realize when those beautiful little children of you, when, they're, when they are born, as soon as they come to cognitive ability of understanding what's going on around them, they are in a power struggle with you. They want, to have, they want to have the power. They want to be the one running the show. They want to, they want to have power over you. And see, here's a crazy thing. This is, this is going to sound crazy to some of you, but you just step back, pray about it, and think about it, and see what you think, okay? Even if they make you angry to get you to lose your mind, they are controlling you. They still got control. They controlled you that way. Oh, I told y'all. Okay. <laughs> Try to warn you. Number four, God doesn't do what you think he should. How we respond in that, man. <laughs> you know, and here's the interesting thing, man. This is wearing me smooth out. You know, here in Exodus, because he doesn't do anything the way that Moses or anybody expects he should do it. It doesn't go that way. And it still happens today. I mean, today we do all these things right. We think, man, it should all go like this. And it doesn't go like this, it goes like that. And we're like, wait a second, we did everything right. We we expected everything to go this way, and God's going that way. What's wrong? It may be everything may be right. 
God rarely works the way we think he should. And when obedience requires sacrifice, now I know that you've heard and you've read in the Bible that to obey is better than sacrifice. What I'm saying in this is that whenever you are obeying God and it requires you to sacrifice, it's easy to obey when it doesn't cost you anything. But when it starts costing you stuff, that's when we move into a whole nother level right there, okay? So about 10 years ago, my aging mother, my dad passed away in 2001. My mother's by herself. She's living in Grand Slane all alone. Her health is in decline, and we think the right thing to do, pray about it, Melissa and I think, for her to sell her house, come live with us. So she agreed to that. She reluctantly agreed to it, didn't want to leave her house. She'd been, I mean, this is the house that I grew up in. My, my family lived in this house for over 40 years. Hard for her to leave that at, at 83, 84 years old at that time, okay? So whenever she gets ready, we put the house up for sale. They come by and they survey the house. When they survey the house, oh, what happened here? That is not where it's supposed to go. Okay, they surveyed the house. Here's the house. Here's the property line right here. Our neighbors who have lived there longer than us, their property line goes right across the front of the house. The front door is right here. It goes right up to there. Now, all of the family over here, the mom and dad, they're going. One of the sons that's about the same age as my older brother and sister, he's living there. We've never had a bit of problem out of him. Great relationship with him. All the whole family had great relationships. We did not know this until we got ready to sell the house. He lost his mind when this happened. He came over, killed all the grass in my 80-something-year-old you know, mother's, took the air conditioner right here, pulled it out of his tractor, brought it around, dumped it in the backyard. Now, you men, let's be reasonable for a moment. Somebody does that to your 80-year-old mother. It's testing. That is a test, okay? It's a serious test, all right? So, I mean, like, it took us years Years to get this straightened out before finally we got, we got more land for him. We've got it all straightened out. Lots of money. I mean, like when it was happening, we were thinking, how can this go so wrong? We're trying to do the right thing, and everything is going wrong. So here's what I'm telling you this morning. Just because you do the right thing, and that was the right thing, doesn't mean everything's going to go right the way you think it should go right. Okay. All right, so now then, here is where we start in Exodus. This is what starts this whole thing we're reading this morning. The Lord heard the cries of the Israelites because they were oppressed by the Egyptians. So that's what brings this whole thing about delivering them out of Egyptian bondage. People were crying. They didn't even really know God. <laughs> See, some of you are like, well, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not a very good Christian, so you know, God didn't hear my prayers. He hears them all, Okay. They have anything to do with how good of a Christian you think you are, how bad of a Christian you are, how good of a person you are, bad of a He hears all the prayers, all right? So, I mean, it, it matters when you pray. So, when he said, I'm coming to do this because I heard the cries of my people. Prayers are what got this moving. See, right now, there's some things that you want happening, and they're not happening, and you're wondering why they're not happening. And I'm telling you right now, as I tell you every Sunday, the most important thing you can ever do is pray. It blows my mind. We have got a sovereign God that's in total control, but prayer changes things. <laughs> I don't understand that, and no theologian understands that, but it's just the truth. 
Let's go back up just a few verses and read this before we get into our main text. So the, the Israelite foreman, they had went into Pharaoh and asked for help because of the oppression they were under. And when they left, that Pharaoh said, no, go make bricks without straw, made it harder on them, things are going worse. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them, to Moses and Aaron, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. And here we are in our text. So Moses, he went back to the Lord and he asked, Lord, why have you caused, who's, what, who? Why have you caused trouble? And here's what, listen, Moses does the right thing. He goes to God in prayer. And here's the thing, listen, on Moses' side, okay, here's what Moses does right. He prays, and look at this. He's praying for the people. He isn't really whining about him getting mistreated. He's praying for the people. He said, cause trouble for this people. So he's not like, man, God, you should have just left me out. I mean, it's not all about him crying about how things are going wrong for him. He's actually praying for the people. But he comes back to God and said, why did you ever send me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh Oh, look at this, to speak in your name. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, whenever you pray, if you ask in my name, this shall be done for you. What does in my name mean? In my name means in my power and in my authority. So God sent Moses with his authority to go to Pharaoh. He said, this is it. When you get there, I say, thus saith the Lord. This is my word, my authority, okay? And Moses recognizes that right here. He says, man, I come in in your authority. This is what I'm doing. I'm doing what you sent me to do, speaking in your name. Man, he has caused trouble. For these people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. You haven't done anything. I mean, like, I just want to see one little thing happen right. I don't know. Am I the only one at church this morning? I mean, like, have you ever done that? You prayed and you prayed and you prayed, you did everything right. You just want God to show you just a little bit, just a little gleam of hope, just a little something, instead of it getting worse. Everything just got worse. I did exactly what I know God just told me to do, and it all got worse. So listen, do we do the same thing Moses does? Why did you do this, God? Why did you allow this, God? Why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you lifting your finger? And here's the situation you got to understand. They're not ready to be delivered yet. It isn't that God's not ready to deliver. His people are not ready to be delivered yet. Because we'll see in this story, the problem is not getting them out of Egypt. The problem is getting Egypt out of them. They're too much in love with Goshen. Yeah, right there at the moment, things were bad. But here's what it is. It wasn't bad enough to where they would fall out of love with Egypt, okay? Sin has got to become utterly sinful before God can deliver you from your sin. Because, listen, let's be honest. Sometimes we pray for God, God, help me to sin, get me out of this sin. And the whole time we're coddling that sin and we're loving that sin. And we're asking God to deliver us from that sin as we coddle it and we love it. That sin has got to become utterly sinful in our eyes, not in somebody else's eyes. And you want to see, you want some of your friends and family to be delivered from their sin. You need to pray for them that that sin will become utterly sinful to them that that sin will be eating them up on the inside before it eats them up all over. Man, you haven't done anything to rescue your people at all. And here's the interesting thing. God doesn't 
tell Moses he's wrong. God doesn't defend himself. God doesn't say, no, you're wrong. I, I have done this or I have done that. Mo, you're looking at it. He didn't say, no, you're wrong, Moses. We'll see what he does do in just a moment. Before we do that, in the New Testament, here's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. I'll tell you, among those born of a woman, no one, that's pretty high praise. No one is greater than John. Jesus himself. Now, Jesus, Jesus is the greatest, but born of a woman. So you go, Jesus, next level down, John the Baptist. This is what he says. John the Baptist, for doing the right thing. John the Baptist, the one that stood out there on the riverbank that day after he baptized Jesus, and he goes walking off, and he turns to his disciples and says, he must increase and I must decrease. And some of them left John to go follow Jesus. That John the Baptist, the one that recognized him, the one that saw him as the Messiah, that John the Baptist ends up in prison. Prison for his convictions, for preaching against the king, for doing the wrong, I mean, that John the Baptist ends up in prison, about to lose his life, and he sends his disciples and he says, go back to Jesus, because now he's starting to get discouraged. Go back. When his, when his disciples reached Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? So John the Baptist, when he was in there in prison and things weren't working out, even he said, did I mess up here? Are you not really God? Are you not really the Messiah? Now listen. <laughs> do you want what the Bible says or do you want the Sunday school junk? Because <laughs> here's the thing. When you start studying the Bible, Jesus does not give easy answers. We love easy answers. And we love the sugar-coated soft stuff that makes us feel better about ourselves. We don't like the hard stuff. And when I read the Bible, Jesus rarely gives a soft, easy answer. Do you want to hear what he said? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits. And he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, to John's disciples, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, and those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. You know what he's doing? He's quoting Isaiah. So when he's quoting Isaiah, you have to understand, as he's quoting Isaiah, these disciples of John, they're going down the verse with him. They're, they're, they know the verse. The messianic prophecy, what the Messiah will do. Jesus stops right in the middle of the verse and doesn't quote the whole verse. Do you want me to show you what the rest of the verse says? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, Isaiah 61.1. Here's the rest of it. To proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. He doesn't quote the rest of the verse. John's in prison, so pretty much when he doesn't quote the rest of the verse, he's telling them John's not going to be rescued. John's not getting out of prison. Do you see that? That's not a, I mean, like, they don't walk away. They go, boy, that was a great answer. Let's can't wait to go tell John. I mean, they had to be thinking, oh, my goodness. Why, he didn't quote the whole thing. He left out the whole prisoners being freed. So no one born of a woman greater. So let me ask you a question then. Why do you and I expect everything to go easy when we obey God? Did everything go easy for Jesus? Did all the religious leaders rally around him and say, man, you are the greatest. They had him crucified. 
So why on earth do we think today we make this assumption that when we obey God, it automatically is going to go easy? Now, now hang on a second. When you follow the principles of the Bible, in some instances, things will go better for you. I don't want you to misunderstand that. I mean, if you read your Bible and you pray, you're going to develop spiritually. You're going to be able to handle the hard circumstances in your life. If you take your money and you take your money and you bring it under the authority rule of Jesus, you say, I'm stewarding your money and you are very generous with your money, more than likely the Bible is the only place God says, test me on this. See what I'll do. More than likely, I mean, you will experience, you know, good things from that. If you do it with the right motive, now if you do it, because oh, man, I don't get a little extra money, let's go do this. Well, see, God knows your heart better than you do. It ain't gonna work, all right? But you do the right thing with the right motive, yes, sometimes here in this life, things will go better. But listen, I don't want you to be under the false. The reason I preach so hard against this is because the prosperity gospel is prevalent. In our, and I say some of y'all right now, y'all thinking, oh yeah, man, those, those prosperity preachers, oh, I don't like them. Here's what you understand. That stuff has trickled down into all of our churches. I mean, if you and I sit here and dangle, oh, that's all them, we got a blind spot. We, we part of that. We're part of that culture, all right? That, that's why you and I, when we look at the Bible, and we're like, that's really what the Bible said? Do you know why we do that? Because we've been in this false narrative in our, in our American Christianity. We've been propagating these things that like filtering the Bible through America instead of just taking the Holy, the Holy Bible and say, what do you say? What does God's word say? Plain. Take America out of it. Take a prosperity out. What does the Bible say? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. So, here's our problem, too. Most of our preachers, when we are trained, we are trained by American theologians. When you get a preacher that goes back and he's trained from the early biblical writers and on and on and down, you get down before America was ever born, that dude's going to have a whole different fire about him, okay? And most churches are not going to want to hire him because he'll just run that whole junk right into the Word of God, and people will be getting saved and getting right. And I mean, the whole American culture won't matter anymore. I love America, by the way. Amen. Don't, get me, don't get me wrong on that. But it's, a, it's not America first and God second. Right. It's not America first and Jesus second. See, that's, what we, that's where we say, we don't say that, but we propagate that. Okay, I'm getting off that soapbox right now. Let's get back to Oh, but the Lord, verse 1, chapter 6, but the Lord, Yahweh, replied to Moses. Oh, now you're going to see something, Bubba. I got something for you. What I will do to Pharaoh, it's not about what you can do, Moses. You got this. Don't misunderstand. Church, Christian, believer, it is not about what you can do. Some of y'all are carrying the weight you're not meant to carry. God did not design you to, to wear that, to carry that, and you're getting burnt out, and you're getting discouraged. And I'm here to tell you the morning, this morning, why you're getting burnt out and why you're getting discouraged because you're carrying something you weren't meant to. The devil's all about you carrying that weight, by the way, of ministry. That responsibility of you changing other people, he's all about you carrying that. That's not what we're about here, okay? When the Bible makes it very clear to us, we're joining God in what he, he's the one doing it. Look at what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand right here, Yod, that's that Hebrew word Yod right there, the power. And he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, that Yod again, he will, he will drive them from his land. I mean, there'll come a point where Moses is going to be like driving them out, Okay? It's going to get good. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am Yahweh. He didn't say, oh, Moses, listen, I'm sorry, Bubba, okay? 
It's all gonna be all right. You're doing better than you think you are. You know, let's just, you're, go, you're, doing, you're on the right track. I know it's kind of, no. He gets Moses' eyes off Moses and he gets them on God. So you say, okay, what are we talking about? Destroying discouragement? Whenever our eyes get on God and off of us, I never get discouraged when I just look at God's glory. When I look at his power, when I look at his mind, I'm never discouraged because God is sovereign. He's in control. Nothing ever slips through his fingers. God never says whoops. God never says, man, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. So I mean, I never get discouraged. I've got to be focused on every single day of my life living under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus. If I'm there, then I know nothing comes into my life without first going through the hands of God. And it goes through his hands. It comes with great meaning and purpose even when it's painful. So I appeared, now he's going, to tell, he's going to start telling Moses what he's done, past tense. Man, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, as El Shaddai. But I was not known to them by Yahweh, the tetragrammation. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Personal name of God. They didn't know me like you know me, Moses. That's the most important thing. That's why you're discouraged. That's why you're getting all sideways, Moses, because you don't know me like you need to know me. That's me, too. I mean, you know, if any of us are in right now, say, man, I got it all figured out. I got it all together. Please come talk to me after church. We need to get you preaching, all right? I've established my covenant. He's going to take him back to the promises. Why does God make promises? Why does God establish covenants? So God can show how faithful and how strong and how good he is. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I've heard, see, this is what I have, the prayers, man, I heard those, the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I remembered my covenant. Doesn't mean he forgot what that means. I'm bringing, bringing that to the forefront right now. This is what's happening right now because the promise I made, I'm remembering that. I'm bringing that right to the forefront of everything that's happening right now. Therefore, tell the Israelites, go tell them, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out. I will. See, this is what I'm going to do now. That's who I was. That's what I've done. Look what I'm going to do. I will bring you out. From the forced labor of the Egyptians, I will rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem right here, Ga'al in Hebrew. That means act as a kinsman, a kinsman redeemer. That means that's, that's the closest male relative that can buy someone out of slavery. He's got the right to buy them out of slavery. So what he says right here is that when he says redeem them, he said, I'm going to act as their kinsman. What he's saying is, is they are my people. I will rescue them. I will redeem them. I will buy them back. See, New Testament, we understand that redemption. We've been redeemed from our sins. We've been redeemed from hell. We've been bought back by a price by the blood of Jesus Christ. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. We'll see those. It's called the 10 plagues. We'll go through here pretty soon. I will take you as my people. I will be your God, and you will know. See, now that's, that's what i got to get. When I start understanding the attributes of God, the character of God, when I look at what he's done in the past, who he is, then I'm going to start to know that I am Yahweh, your Elohim, who brought you out from forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land. I'm going to get you. I'm not just getting you out of Egypt. i got something to place for you to be. You're not just getting saved from sin. 
You're not just getting saved from the world. He's saving you to the kingdom of heaven. He's saving you to the eternal place of heaven as well. I will bring you to the land that I swore because God can do that. We can't do that. He can because he's true, because he's honest, because he's faithful. That I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession because I am Yahweh, that's that personal name right there. Man, Moses told the Israelites, but they didn't listen. They didn't listen to him because of their broken spirit. And the broken spirit's interesting in Hebrew right here. Katsir, waha. What that means is, it means like, so spirit is just like the same word for, for wind and air. Because in katsir right here, katsir means to restrict like when an airway is restricted, you can't breathe. So what he's saying is because they are getting, we would say today, I mean, I say this to my family and people around me all the time. When things start getting to me, I'm like, man, this is just choking the kingdom of joy right out of me. Can you relate? And you start going through some stuff, you're like, man, this is just, like, somebody, I mean, like, somebody ask you how you're doing, you're like, man, I'm just getting the kingdom of joy just choked right out of me right now. These circumstances are just getting to me, you know? But that's, so what was happening to them right there is that they were having a hard time hearing how great God is, but his faithful promises, because spiritually, man, they are getting choked out because of their circumstances, because of their hard labor. Now, here's how I translate that in New Testament. 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan, who's like Pharaoh. Pharaoh is like Satan, I mean. Satan, who is the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Man, they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So here's what I'm saying is that you may have the best arguing points for Christianity, but the Holy Spirit's not opening their spiritual eyes and ears. They won't get it. They can't see it. They're blinded to it. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. All right. They won't, okay. So they're, they're struggling. Okay. So let's move on to somebody else. You got to go tell somebody else this message too, okay? Now go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let, he's already done that once. It didn't work. Okay. So is your past informing your present? Hmm? Are your past hurts or are they informing your present? We all should be like, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm dealing with today. The past hurts are informing my present circumstances, how I view them, how I see them. He's already done this. And when he went and told Pharaoh, it only got worse. Now God says, go back and tell him again. Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, let Israelites go from the land. But Moses said to in the Lord's presence, man, if the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me since I'm such a poor speaker? Moses. It's not about you, man. This just encourages my heart, by the way. Because Moses isn't too far into this, okay? I mean, he's not too far removed from the burning bush. So he's got a lot to learn. He's got some immaturity. And his immaturity has been exposed right here in this moment. He's like, man, it didn't work with them. I've already told Pharaoh. How, I mean, how do you think Pharaoh is going to listen? Because it doesn't depend on how good of a speaker you are. Doesn't matter that you say all the right words. Because some of y'all, y'all have witnessed for Christ before and it didn't go well. And you blamed it on yourself. I'm just, I'm just not a good evangelist. I just don't have the gift of evangelism. 
My question is, are you praying? Are you praying for them? Pray that God will stir their heart to salvation. Then it doesn't matter what googly gop comes out of your mouth. The Holy Spirit gets a hold of them, and it, he will get them. So it doesn't matter if you said the right words the right way and all that kind of stuff. What matters is the Holy Spirit stirring in their hearts. That is the most important thing. So it isn't about your, and listen, this is freeing to me this morning because, you know, I'm not worried about preaching a good sermon, by the way. I worried about that for years and years and years. I don't worry about that anymore. I concern myself with this. I pray over this all week long that God will open your spiritual eyes and ears and mine too. And then when we get here in this moment that he will speak to our hearts. I don't wear that weight. Okay? So that, I'm telling you, do the same thing. Don't wear the weight. Don't think it's up to you. The devil wants you to do that and your flesh is going to agree with him. And the world's going to tell you the same thing. Everywhere you go is going to, Bible doesn't tell you that though. Seven, look at this. Moses had, this is not in your outline, by the way. I just want to throw this in for free right quick. Moses had seven objections. Who am I? What will I say? They'll not, be, they'll not believe me? I'm not eloquent? Send Aaron. Israel didn't listen. Man, I'm of uncircumcised lips. That's coming up. Look at this. this then the God's got seven I wills. We just got through reading. I will bring you out. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into a land. I will give, you, give it to you as in a heritage. So it's interesting about the Bible is that when God created the world, he created the world in six days, and then he rested on the Sabbath, okay? I mean, like there's this, there's this, this beautiful rhythm that God has created us for, and you see this rhythm over and over again also in Exodus also, So for everything the devil comes at us with, Jesus is already taking care of it. You realize that, right? Some of y'all are busy fighting the devil, and he's already lost. He's already defeated. All we got to do is get under the kingdom, authority, rule of Jesus, and he has lost. So you're getting beat up by the devil? You need to change locations. Not about fighting hard. It's about changing locations. Look at that outline right quick with me. You community group leaders, I want to ask you to go through these. This, this, in your community group, after you get through this, you'll see in the questions, I'm asking you to do this. Let's dig into this. We must be careful not to place our ultimate trust in our own hearts. When we talk about destroying discouragement, I mean, like, man, if I'm trusting my own heart like the world tells me to and like my flesh agrees with, then Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? So I can't put my ultimate trust in my own heart or my own strength and abilities. Man, I've seen this get people in trouble in ministry over and over again. They've got natural strengths and abilities, and they think just because they got these strong abilities that they can come into a position that takes, that takes authority of God, that takes responsibility and faithfulness, and in the long run, it crushes them because they are not depending on God. A wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. When you start hearing somebody talking about how good they are in whatever ministry it is, mm, careful. Number three, our finances, career slash worldly provisions, whatever it is from this world, we've got to be careful not to make that our ultimate trust in that. 1 Timothy 6.17, instruct those who are rich in the present age. You may be saying, I'm not rich. 
Okay, so according to world standards, if you have more than two pairs of shoes in your closets, you are rich. Some of y'all are filthy rich, aren't you? Not to be arrogant or to set their hope in the uncertainty. Man, it could all be gone tomorrow. The uncertainty of wealth, but in God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Dark conditions of the soul that we must avoid. The distracting, distrustful, heart-dividing thoughts. Man, we got to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because here's, here's what I know. I know this much. We talk about the enemy. The enemy wants to divide us. There's a whole bunch of people right now that love Jesus, that used to go to church, used to serve God, that are at home doing nothing right now because they let the enemy divide them, get them mad, cause division. Anytime I feel angst towards my brothers or sisters in Christ, then I know this much. I'm not under the authority rule of Jesus in that. I'm going the wrong direction in that. Number two. Dark conditions of the soul that we must avoid, number two, limiting God to a particular means of deliverance. Man, God was just not moving fast enough for Moses and the Israelites. They were all about being delivered. They just wanted to be delivered today. Number three, I got that highlighted right there. Impatient, murmuring against God's way of working. You know the story of Jonah? He goes to Nineveh, and when he gets to Nineveh, he didn't want to go there because he didn't want to see the Ninevites get saved. And he goes there, and they all get, are converted. They all repent. It's the biggest revival in the Bible. And, Mo, and, 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 and Jonah gets ticked off. And he goes out on the side of the hill out there, and he's praying to God. And he's like, God, I knew if you sent me here, you would do this because you're good. And he's all mad, and he's hot, and, and the sun's coming down on his bald head. And he's just, oh. and God causes this gourd to grow up, and, it comes, and it gives him shade. And he thanks God for the gourd. And then God makes it wither and go away, and he gets mad. And God says, God, that's Jonah. Is it, is it right for you to be angry about the plant or the gourd? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. Impatient murmuring is against God. He didn't like the way God was working. God's rarely ever going to work the way you want him to. Number four, ungrounded doubting of God's love and our suffering. Hebrews 12, 6, for the Lord disciplines the, the one that he loves and he punishes every son he receives. We're going to suffer in this life, all of us. But when we get to the point to where we begin to doubt God's goodness and his love, that's when we're moving into a dangerous place. That is dark conditions of the soul that we must avoid. So what's the foundation upon which we build our trust in the Lord? Number one, God's goodness and his mercy. The attributes of God. Man, when I get a hold of this is what's going to be destroying discouragement right here. When this gets into my soul and it starts bringing life transformation into my life, this will do it right here, man, that I know that God is good, that in my affliction, God is good. Man, when I get to that point, man, I mean, the apostle Paul went through all kinds of affliction. He said, man, I've learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or in need, what the, it didn't matter what the circumstances is, that my contentment is in Christ Jesus, my position in him, not what I got in this world. Hey, listen, you know what matters the most this morning? What matters the most this morning is Jesus. I know that that sounds like a track, Sunday school, church answer, but it's true. It's really all that matters. That's it. 
Man, when I got that down, then all the other stuff is not going to be eating my lunch. All the other stuff is not going to be kicking my rear. Number two, God's good promises. That's what I build my trust in the Lord. All these promises that he has made because he's good, because he's faithful, that's why he's made these promises to you. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise has given me life. Number three, God's good providence. Man, that's what I'm learning from this study in, almost said in Egypt, <laughs> in Exodus. We're in Egypt right now, man. We are getting out soon and real soon. Matthew 10, 29, 31, listen to this. This is what Jesus said. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. Mm. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Mm, that's so good. And here's where we land. God's never failing faithfulness. He never fails. God has never, ever failed. There's no, no place in the Bible where it says God failed at that. He never will fail. His never failing faithfulness. Let's all stand this morning. God is faithful. So what does that statement mean to you? It's right there in the middle of that first. But God is faithful. And you got temptations come across you, just like all of you, but, but God is faithful. The but God changes everything. He is faithful. Man, I want discouragement destroyed in my life, so here's what I'm learning. I'm learning that whenever I know God, when I know his character, when I know his attributes, that I know I can trust him. Amen. So where are you at today? What are you struggling with today? What situation in your life you look at and you say, man, that looks hopeless. Then my answer is, but God. But God, he's faithful. Some of you, you are bouncing all over the back of the struggle bus. You've been there for weeks and weeks and maybe months and months and maybe even years and years. And you're like, man, I keep coming to church and I'm trying to do what that preacher says. I'm trying to pray more. I'm listening to that Bible app and it seems like things just get worse. Okay, no, no, listen. <laughs> if you're really listening to that Bible app, then it's going to be preparing you that things are going to be getting worse when you get closer to God sometimes. And if you really, really listen to the word, you're really praying, then if we're praying for life transformation, then we know this, that even in my affliction, God is good. Right. So could, could God, could he have destroyed the Egyptians with one breath? Yes. And Pharaoh? Yes. But he chose not to. Instead, he chose to ratchet up the affliction because his children needed to get uncomfortable where they were. You uncomfortable here? 
you're uncomfortable in this world? Many of the things going on in this world make you really uncomfortable? Does it just seem that the older you get, the more uncomfortable you get in this world? Do you see the parallel in the story we're reading this morning? God's turning their hearts toward the promised land. It may just be that God is turning your heart towards the kingdom of heaven, towards the king. The king is always good. Even when life is bad, Jesus is always good. So before we come and we take communion this morning, is everything right between you and God? Are you under the, living under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus? If you say today, well, you know, I haven't never been saved or I haven't done that, well, then don't take communion. The Bible warns that, man, just stay away from that. That's, don't do that. But if everything's right between you and God and then everything's right between you and everybody else around you, you know, there's no animosity or bitterness towards you and other people, no unforgiveness, then you're, you're, you're communing. You're ready to commune. Hey, listen, let me just try to help some of you with this. If we come to this part of the service and you're agitated, that's a sign something's wrong somewhere. If, if we come to this, this part of the service and you're excited and thrilled, it's a good sign that things are good between you and the Lord and other people. But you're getting agitated. You need to pray. Maybe there's a blind spot right there that you're not aware of. This bothers you that we do it every week. Maybe it's just possible. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. So, Father, we thank you today. For salvation, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. So right now, I want you to give you a moment right now to make sure everything's right between you and God. So God, just search my heart. You pray that? Just show me any hidden sin in my life. Just reveal any blind spots I have. Now you just confess those to the Lord and ask him to grant you repentance. Okay, so let's go ahead and take communion. So... Someone from your family wants to go and get the juice and the bread, and you can have a seat once someone from your family heads out. Yeah, so this morning, if you need someone to pray over you, you can just come up here to the front right now. we got people standing off to the side that they'll be willing to pray for you this morning.
maybe after we get through with communion, you still need someone to pray for you, then, you know, we'll hang around up here at the front and we'll pray for you this morning so you can have a seat. If you would look at the screen. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's go ahead and take out the bread. So there's something mysterious in what we're doing right now. So this doesn't save you. It's for the people who are already saved. But in this communion, as we take this, there's something, it's more than just a symbol. There's something mysterious that happens at this moment whenever we commune with the Lord. You're exercising the grace of God and you're exercising your faith right now as you do this. Every time the church came together in Acts on the first day of the week, they had communion. They communed with the Lord. So right now, just think about this. Just pull your heart into Look at that wafer right there and think about what we just read. That this represents the body of Christ that was given for our sins. Are you thankful for that today? Are you thankful that all of your sins are forgiven. That you're in the new covenant. So if you want to, you can pray with me. As we commune, we pray together each week. So, dear Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you for forgiving me. You are my God. You are my King. You are my Savior. Let's eat in faith. Let's open up the juice. So if you would, look at the screen, please. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's look at that juice and let's think about how, what it represents, the blood of Christ the beautiful mystery that we get to experience right here in this moment together as God's people, the body of Christ, communing with the Lord as we are in his presence now. So this represents the blood of Christ, the atoning sacrifice of Christ, 
Let's remember the cross, the great price that he paid that we could be forgiven. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for laying down your life. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. You are my God. You are my Savior. You are my King. Let's drink in faith. If you would, let's all stand. I'm going to pray us out this morning. So God, thank you. Thank you for salvation, for renewal, for forgiveness of sins. God, thank you for each person that came here today, each person who watched online today, each person who will watch and listen later. We pray your blessings over everyone. God, today as we leave out of here, we're praying that you would open our eyes to our blind spots, that you would help us to see the areas of immaturity that are in us, and God, that you would just help us to grow in our understanding of who you are, your attributes, your promises. God, we just pray that you would just transform our hearts and our lives, oh God. So as you leave today, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name as you go.